Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome. This is Felony Friday on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here on Felony Friday, I focus each and every week on exposing injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Now, the criminal justice system is my passion. And it is so rewarding to be able to bring on a guest to speak with a guest who has overcome incredible injustice and come out on the other side to find success. And today on Felony Friday, I have just that opportunity. I'll be speaking with Israel Torres. Israel was sentenced to life in prison, but was granted clemency by President Obama. And now he's out and he's living a successful life. Now, before I get to my interview with Israel, I want to remind you guys that there are two other shows here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Every Monday, we have our flagship program hosted by Mark Clare. And every Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land hosted by Brian McWilliams. Now, you don't want to miss those two shows, so be sure to subscribe to iTunes or Stitcher Radio. And you can ensure that the delightful voices here at the Lions of Liberty will always get delivered to your ears three days per week. And if three days is not enough, if you need more to quench your liberty thirst, then fear not. Because we are rolling out some additional content, baby. That's right. There's going to be more content coming from the Lions of Liberty. But there is a catch, though. There's one little catch. To get this extra content, you're going to have to pitch in five bucks per month. Now, you can learn more about this program. It's our patron program at lionsofliberty.com support. You can find all the details there. We have three different levels, actually, 5, 10, and 25. But that $5 level will get you all of our exclusive content. You get up to $10, you get a free t-shirt, you get a free koozie, you get up to $25, you get two free t-shirts, a free koozie, plus you get a phone call with us, a conference call, a Skype call with us every single month to brainstorm about what we want to do here at Lines of Liberty and how we want to take the show forward. So be sure to check that out, lionsofliberty.com slash support. Okay, last note before we get started, this is episode number 61 of Felony Friday, so that means you can find the show notes with links and notes to everything that we're going to talk about today with my guest, Israel Torres, at lionsofliberty.com slash FF61. My guest today on Felony Friday is Israel Torres. A judge sentenced Israel to life in prison for a nonviolent drug offense, and he was serving out he was serving that life in prison sentence until President Obama commuted it. Now Israel has been released from prison, and he's contributing value to society. I first heard Israel's story on the Michael Santos Earning Freedom podcast. Michael was gracious enough to connect me with Israel, and he's agreed to come on the show to share his story. Israel, welcome to Felony Friday. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and I'm really looking forward to to hearing about your story and having you share your story of getting this life sentence, being in prison for life, and then having having that commuted by President Obama. Really interested in hearing what that felt like and getting into the details of that. But before we do that, I kind of want to start out with wondering if you'll share once you, you got out of prison and you were released from prison, was there a meal or, or a restaurant that you were really looking forward to going to that, that you got to go to or, or you got to eat once you got out? Um, I just, I just wanted a, a home cooked meal from, from my mother. And, uh, she was, I mean, thankful to God that, that, that she's still here and she was able to cook me that meal. And, uh, it was, it was very good. And I mean, along with the rest of my family, my sisters and my brother and, uh, of course, I mean, of course when I got out, there was a lot of people there. So, uh, we all got to enjoy my mother's cooking and my sisters helped, helped as well. That's incredible. So, so when you got out, did, did you first get out into, a uh, halfway house, or did you get to go home right away? Uh, no, I went to the halfway house first. I was only in the halfway house for 28 days. Um, and April the 15th was my release date from the halfway house. Okay. So once you did get out, you're talking about you had all this, you know, your family was there, obviously happy to see you. While you were in prison, did this support from your family, Did that was that one of the things that you think, helped you through your, your life sentence? Was that something that, you know, gave you support? Uh, yes, that's, that's one of them. 
And, uh, of course, the man above, uh, he, he continued to endure strength in me to um, continue my fight for freedom. Uh, him being by my side and my family being by my side, that's what, what uh, kept hope alive, and, and uh, I just kept on going forward. That is awesome. So let's let's backtrack and, and talk about um, how you got into into getting a life sentence in the first place. So where where did uh where did this start? Or maybe let's let's go back to the to the beginning. Did you have any before you know before getting arrested and getting this being convicted of being sent away uh, to prison for life? Did you have any run-ins with the law prior to that? Did you have any other arrests previously? Yes, I did. I had little uh, minor drug charges for um, possession or, or uh, possession with intent to distribute. Uh, there was like maybe. I want to say about four or five times previous before this federal case. They, they, the the little cases that I did have, they were state cases here in Texas, and uh, but I was on probation for them. I, I got probation for them, um, and I never I never did any state time, TDC time. My lawyer kept me out, and I was still on probation at the time that. I got arrested on this federal charge. What exactly happened with with the federal charge? Was there a, a sting op- operation? Was it? Did they set you up, or how did they exactly? How did they get you? And what what were the uh, drugs that you were selling at the time, or what were you involved with? Yes, uh, there, there was an operation. It was a, a six year ongoing investigation. There was a thirty six man indictment. I think there was a couple of females in there too. Um, but it was an operation in and around the McKinney area. It's like 30, 40 miles um, from Dallas going north. So uh, there was 36 of us involved. Um, we all got picked up March 16th of 98. I got picked up March 15th of 98. Um, a day before everybody else, I had a warrant and they took me in and they didn't let me out. I had posted bond for the little warrant that I had and they gave me the runaround there in the county saying that I, that their computers were down so they didn't let me out. Um, we was distributing in um, different drugs um, from cocaine, crack cocaine, marijuana, and methamphetamine. Um, different people was charged with different drugs me personally, I was charged with uh, crack cocaine, delivery of small amount. Uh, the amount that they came up with in the indictment for me was 236 grams of crack cocaine. That's the people that testified on me. That's the amount, the amounts that they testified to. That's the that's how they came up with that amount. So that Never was, that that was nothing. Nothing that they actually found. Or that was just no. based on testimony. Right. Wow. My state cases, my state cases, the little, the little possession charges that I did get caught with was uh, 12.64 grams. They used that in my federal case and added that along with the 236 grams, which that was added in the 236 grams. But there was nothing ever. Uh, more than the 12.64 grams that they actually got on me. And and what, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but it, at what point w- within this um, did you realize that you actually could be put away for life? Um, I, I, I never, I never thought I could get a life sentence behind this, behind selling drugs. Um, I just felt like if I did ever get any time, that it would probably be no more than 10 years. Um, obviously, I was wrong, and, and when I did go to trial, they gave me a life sentence. I knew I knew I was doing. I mean, of course, it was wrong, me dealing in drugs. But I mean, at the time, at the time, that's that's what people in the neighborhood that I was growing up in, that's what they were doing. The people that I was hanging around with, mm-hmm. and it's like that was just a thing to do at that time and era. I mean, you see everybody, uh, different people driving nice cars and uh, 
flashy jewelry and nice clothes and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's like, it's like you're being left out and you wanted to be a part of it. So the only way to be a part of it was to do the things that they were doing. Which, like, again, I said, I know it was wrong, but that's the uh, chance that I took. And I was young at the time. I was like maybe 16, 17 when I started. And when I finally got arrested, I was 21. And I received a life sentence at the age of 21. When I went to when I first went to federal prison. Let's talk a little bit about the the time you spent in prison. So you're saying you, you went in when you were you were 20. You were picked up in '98, I think you said, and then you served yeah. up until when did you get out? What was your release date? Uh, I got granted clemency December uh, 17th of 2013. No, 2014. I got released April. 15th of 2015. So you were like, my, what, like eight, 18 years in prison, is that right? 17. 17, yeah. wow. 17 years. <clears throat> On a life sentence going, I mean, you know, when you're in there, you, you're, you're, when you go to trial, the judge is the guy who gives you life sentence. You, I mean, it's like everything just stops. And it's like everything's just a mumble at, at, after that. And, like, you're just looking around, and you don't hear nothing. It's just a blur. Because, I mean, the judge just sits here and just gives you a life sentence for, for drugs. So it's like, like, what's going on? It kind of shocks you. Um, I'm 21 years old and off to prison. You know, I don't know what's going to happen, what's going on, what's, what's to come when I get there. But, uh, I mean, I knew a couple of people, which is people that was on my case. They was there when I got there. Because at first, the judge gave me a, a mistrial. Uh, there was two two different groups in trial. Uh, the first group, there was 12 people in the first group. The second group, there was four of us, three or four of us. So, yeah, I think it was like three or four of us in the second group. He gave me a mistrial when I was in his first trial, in the first group, because... Uh, Something was said that wasn't supposed to be said from one of the guys that was testifying on it. He said it in front of the jury, so the judge granted me a, a mistrial and put me in the second group. In the second group, uh, I got found guilty. I come up for my sentencing. The judge feels that there's not enough evidence to give me a life sentence. So I'm already waiting um, six months to get sentenced. I believe it was six months get sentenced. So he postponed my sentencing date for an additional two months because there was not enough evidence. The government wasn't prepared at the time to present any evidence to give me this life sentence. So the judge postponed my sentencing date for another two months. Um, They called in a prosecutor attorney from the state uh, just to verify and uh, testify making sure that it was me or saying that it was me that, that pleaded out in these state cases. So after that, that's when the judge gave me a life sentence. That me on the prison. What, what, was your menta- what was your mentality like when you started serving that sentence? Um, I, was, I was young, and I was 21 years old. I go to prison. My mentality, I was fresh off the street. Again, like I said, I didn't know. With the, what what I was facing when I got there, but when I got there, I mean, I it's not that I didn't care, but I'm fresh off the street and it's like my mentality was still on the street. So I get there and and um, of course I'm a hothead. I had run in with the uh, with the laws. I mean, uh, some of them I would say was kind of disrespectful. So I would kind of be the same way back to them. I would talk back to them, um, same same way with the inmates. Uh, they, some of them were disrespectful, but I mean, I was, I was the younger one. And of course, uh, I had a life sentence and at the time. I just, I just didn't care as much. I'm in prison for about two years. My brother passes away. So after my brother passes away, that's when I realized, like, hey, I don't need to be sitting here putting my mom and I mean, my mom and my dad through any more pain than what they already been through. 
even though me and my brother done put them through enough worries, heartache, and pain. But that's when I realized that I didn't need to put my mom and my dad through any more pain than what they already been through. So I woke up, like just changed my whole way of thinking, changed my way of doing things, changed my ways with people, um, started enrolling in classes, different classes that was provided by the BOP. So at, at what point, how long did it take you, you served 17 years, when did you first hear about there being even a chance that, that you could have your sentence commuted or um, that, that, you know, that, that President Obama was granting clemency? Was that something you heard about? Was it relatively close to when you finally you know, got it or was it something you'd heard about for a while before that? I had heard, heard about clemency from this one guy from Louisiana. It was maybe five years into my sentence. Because I would walk around prison smiling and, and, and uh, you know, always saying hi to different people or whatever, showing my respect or whatever. And, and a couple of people would ask me, like, um, how much time you got? Well, that's something really that you don't ask somebody, but it's just because you hear about it and you want to know. So you ask them. So I had a couple of people ask me, like, man, how much time you got? I said, man, I got a life sentence. And me being so young, they're like, what? I mean, you don't even walk around here like you got a life sentence. I'm like, I said, man, I said, I'm, I said, the way I see it, I said, I'm not going to sit here and put myself through any more trouble than what I have to. I said, because if I get myself in trouble, where am I going to go? I'm go to the shoe. Be in the shoe for however long, for whatever punishment they give me. I said, that's just making it harder on myself and my family. Be, said, being I'm in the shoe, you're you're talking about being in solitary. Correct. Okay. Right. So, uh, this dude from Louisiana, he's like, "Hey man, come on tomorrow. I'm gonna show you something." All right. He was around my age at the time. I was like, uh like 25, 26, maybe. I go up to his room. He lived on the second floor, so we go up to his room, and he pulls out these papers. And he tells me, like, man, he said, look, he said, these papers right here, he said, are for, he said, have you ever heard of clemency? I said, yes, I sure haven't. I said, what is it? He's like, he said, it's just like a, a application that you fill out that you can send into the president, and it's up to him to determine if he wants to uh, either release your time or or throw your whole case out. That's the way he explained it to me. So I'm like, all right. So I looked at it. He's like, man, is it a, he said, my opinion to you, he said, would just be just to ask for a sentence reduction. He said, look, he said, right here is a box. It's already checked. He said, so just leave it like that. Whenever you fill it out, just send it in. I'm like, and I'm still at the time, I'm still going through all my appeals, my direct appeal, my, 2255, my, I mean, all these other different motions that you can file during your your incarceration, the beginning of your incarceration. So were, were so, you filing all these motions yourself, or were you working with a public defender, or how were you doing that? Um, I, I had a, a guy in there that, that, that helped me out on a couple of motions, a writ writer. Uh, he would help me out on, I had different guys that... I mean, because you would hear about different guys in there, like, hey, this guy's good, or hey, this other guy's good, like, you don't mess with this guy. But, I mean, I had this, I had a couple of dudes that, that uh, would help me file a motion, that they would type something up for me. And uh, I had, I also had a, a court-appointed lawyer at the time, still, and I would send it to him and ask him what he thought about it. And he, he would tell me, like, I mean, I could file it if you want me to. And uh, I said, well, I just want you to know. I mean, I just want to know, I want your input. What do you think about it? And he said, it looks pretty good. And if he would tell me it looks pretty good, he's like, I would tell him, okay, we'll go ahead and file it. But during this whole time, he, I mean, uh, I was sending him these, these motions. He was trying to get off my case, saying that I didn't have any merit. This is my straight appeal. So that was granted. Back to the subject of, this clemency application, the guy had gave it to me, so I got it. 
I just put it in with the rest of my paperwork. I went. I took it to my room, put it in with the rest of my paperwork because, like, I, like I said, I'm still in the process of doing all these other motions that I have available, and I want to hold this for my last resort. And the guy just told me, he's like, man, he just, just file it. He said, well, if I was you, you can file one once a year. You can file it. Only thing they can tell you is no. You already got a license. What else can they do to you? And now, I mean, I'm like, yeah, you're right. But I forgot all about this application of chemistry. I never, I mean, when I would go through my paperwork, I would pull it out every now and then. I would look at it. And, I mean, the questions they would ask, I'd be like, man, I got to go through a lot of stuff to get this paperwork because it would ask for your prior arrest, what years, uh, even traffic violations. So, I mean, of course, there's been times that I pulled, got pulled over for a speed ticket or whatever. I mean, they want all that information. I was like, I would just put it back up in my paperwork and be like, man, I'll do it later. I mean, it ain't that I didn't want to come home. It's just the man above. I, I, would, I would sit there and I would pray every day. And I would just ask the man above, whenever you feel it's my time to come home, just let me know. And I guess God put it in me that day to fill out this application of Timothy. And uh, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know that Obama was granting Timothy um, at the time that I sent in my application. I knew he was about reform and trying to uh, reduce the prison population, but I didn't know at the time that he was granting Timothy application. Um, I was in the second group. He let out eight people in the first group, which was in 2014. Um, I got out. I was in the second group of eight, which was released in 2015. So, uh, I mean, I just had this uh, guy help me get my paperwork, the paperwork that I needed to fill out this application, like all my arrests, my prior arrests. Um, it has it on your PSI, but it don't have, like, traffic uh, violations. So I asked him to help me out, write letters to get these uh, the rest of the paperwork that I needed to attach with this clemency application. Of course, I got uh, all my certificates from the classes that I took inside. I took uh, heat and air condition to the HVAC the college course, I think it was nine months long. I took parenting classes. I took carpentry, cabinet making, CDL. I took a whole bunch of classes that just kept me busy. You know, I, I mean, I just wanted to keep my mind occupied. And and, and, and uh, I knew one day that it would come. I just didn't know when. I, I never, I never gave up hope, and I never gave up faith. I just, uh, I just didn't know when this, when this day would come. So I was just preparing myself. Um, I, I wasn't, I didn't want to be institutionalized. I know I was gone for 17 years, and there's a lot of people that get institutionalized, and uh, I didn't want to let myself get that way because I didn't want to be there. Even though I had a life sentence, I didn't want to be there for the rest of my life. We're going to take a quick break from the interview to take a pause for the cause. Liberty lovers, have you seen our new t-shirt line over at lionsofliberty.store? If you haven't, well, go check them out. But if you have, then you've seen the great design work of my man Dan Smots of Goulash Media. Dan has been a longtime fan of the Lions of Liberty podcast and credits the show with being a big contributor to his interest in libertarianism and politics in general. Dan is a super talented guy, and he is able to contribute to just about anything creative, whether it's graphic designs like you saw with our t-shirts, whether it's videography, he does weddings, and that sort of thing, or audio production. He even did the newest jingle for Letters of Liberty. Dan is based out of the Quad Cities area in Illinois, and he's always happy to travel. So if you've got a wedding coming up, or any sort of project, video or audio related, I want to highly encourage you to check out Dan Smots and Goulash Media. That's Goulash, G-O-U-L-A-S-H, goulashmedia.net or goulashfilms.com. So let's talk a little bit about that day when you did 
find out that you were getting granted clemency? Um, just just walk us through it. How, how did you find out? Who told you? Um, and what emotionally, what did you feel? Oh, man, it was, it was a, a great day. And, um, yeah, I had, I had a, the day, December 17th, 2014, I was at work. I worked commissary. We had just got finished passing out uh, Christmas bags. Every year during Christmas, uh, we pass out bags, which has contains like chips, candy, soups, and stuff. I mean, you know, just for just for people to be in the Christmas spirit. Uh, we just got finished with that. Um, it was like around. 12.30, 1 o'clock maybe, I'll go back to the unit. Um, I go in, I make me a cup of coffee, and I go to the email, to the computer to check my email. And uh, I've seen this one, a friend of mine, he was walking by, and he comes up to me. He's standing right there by me, and I asked him, I'm like, hey, you want to play space? He's like, yeah. So he go get the he, go get a table for us to play spades. He calls some other guys to play spades, and I'm checking my email. He comes back over there, and he's just talking to me while I'm checking my email. So the guard comes out of his office, and he yells my name. He's like, Torres. He said, they want you in the warden's office. So I look, I'm, I mean, when he yells my name, I turn and I look at him. And when he tells me they want me in the warden's office, I get stuck, and I'm just looking at him. I said, right now? He was like, yes, right now. And the dude that was standing right there with me, the one I told if he wanted to ask if he wanted to play space, he hit me on my arm. He's like, what's wrong? I'm like, what you mean, what's wrong? I said, I don't know. He said, what did you do? I said, I didn't do nothing. And I was like, then my heart is like, my heart just dropped to my stomach. I was like, man, I said, it can't be. He said, what? What do you mean? I said, man, my clemency application. He's like, man, he said, why are you saying it can't be? He said, but I hope that's what it is. So I'm like, I go up to the, I go back up to my room. I put my coffee on, on the table. Um, and he walks up there with me. He walks back with me downstairs. I'm walking out the door. He wants to walk with me, but the whole compound's closed because of this, uh, we just got finished passing out these Christmas bags. So I'm the only one on the compound. I'm walking across the compound. This walk ain't even, I, I want to say, maybe a quarter of a mile. But it felt like I walked like five miles to get to this warden's office because everything that's going through my head and everything that I'm thinking. I'm looking up in the sky. I'm hearing the birds sing. I'm seeing the trees move. From, from the wind and I'm, I mean there's just so many things going through my mind and it seems like forever for me to get to this warden's office finally I, I get to the door and I knock on the door I look up at the sign just to make sure I'm at the right spot I know I'm at the right place I just had to make sure I had to double check I look up at the sign warden's office I knock on the door I open it up a little bit and uh, the secretary's in there like Mr. Torres, I'm like yes, ma'am. I said that's me. She's like, oh, come on in. So I walk in, and she's like, she points the way to, to me to go to the office. She's like, go have a seat. She says, uh, the warden wants to talk to you. I'm like, okay. So I go in there. I mean, put my hand behind my back, just I mean, because people tend to use hand gestures when they talk, and I don't, I don't. Every time I would talk to a guard, that's what I would do. I would put my hands, like I would fold my hands in, in front of myself. So I put my hands behind my back, and I'm sitting there, and I'm um, talking to him, and there's a piece of paper on, on the corner of his desk in front of him, and I'm, I'm trying to look because I'm having a feeling that that's what it, that's what it is. So uh, he tells me, he's like, he stands up, he shakes my hands, like, the tours? I said, yes, sir. He said, how you doing today? I said, I'm doing good. I said, how about yourself? He said, I'm doing good. He said, uh, 
And he said, have a seat. I was like, okay. So I pull the seat out and I sit down and he starts talking to me and I'm sitting on the edge of my chair. Because I'm still trying to look at this paper that he has on the, on the corner of his desk. I'm anxious to know what it is, but I mean, I don't want to look too anxious. You, you probably right. just wanted to pick it up and grab it. <laughs> yes, I did. I, I wanted to pick it up and just read it, but I didn't, you know. So, I mean, we're, we're talking, and he's like, he said, oh, Ms. Torres, did you ever, um, did you ever file any, any kind of paperwork to the president? And I kind of got stuck, but I was like, yeah. I said, yes, sir. I said, I did. And then he grabs that paper that I'm looking at. And he grabs it and he picks it up and he starts he starts reading it to me. And he tells me that my, my application was granted. When he told me that, I just put my face in my hands and I just started crying. I mean, it's like, and I can, I'm sitting here just remembering that day and I'm kind of like, you know, getting choked up. Just thinking about it, because it's, it's, I mean, it's that that day is it was like the most beautiful day ever. I mean, just just thinking that you're never gonna get out of prison to one day finally being able to come home to your family, your parents, to your the rest of your family, to your loved ones. You know, what um, what an incredible. It's an incredible story, and I'm sure, you know, that was also another great experience getting getting to call your family and getting to call your loved ones and and letting them know that you were or, or writing them or however you communicated, letting them know that that you were coming home. It must have been just a wonderful feeling. Oh yes, it was. It was, and, and um, I think I think I try to I try to call my mom first. Um, she didn't answer. So uh, I think I called one of my friends, uh, this girl that I talked to at the time. Um, I had called her and, and, and uh, told her. And, of course, she started crying. I was crying on the phone with her. Um, and I told her, I was like, hey, I said, I need you to go get my mom. And I need, I need you to make sure... And she's sitting down, and I'm going to call it this time. She said, okay. So uh, I think it was my sister and her and my mom. They was all three together. Uh, but as soon as I was granted, clemency, I mean, it comes up on the computer. Like, maybe a couple of hours later, it'll come up on the computer. And uh, I called my sister as well. And I told her that, hey, um, I want y'all to be with mom. I'm gonna call at a certain time, and I want I want y'all to be there. So uh, yeah, I called and I informed everybody, and of course everybody was crying and happy and joyful and thankful that I was coming home. So yeah, it was a beautiful thing. And, and you had to wait from, from that point in time. This was, what, 2013, I think you said? You had to wait until you actually didn't get out until 2016, right? No, uh, 2014, uh, December 17, 2014. 14. Okay. Yeah, the, the, the day that I was informed of my clemency being granted. And I went to the half, I mean, uh, I went to the camp December 24th which is right across the street. And I stayed at the camp till March 18th of 2015. I went to the to the halfway house. I stayed at the halfway house till April 2015, April 15th of 2015, tax day. <laughs> and then the, the rest of the people or the, or the rest of the others that were, you know, in the same group as you, um, when you were convicted, uh-huh. have they been? Have any of them been been granted clemency? Did well, I guess did, did all of them have, you know, a similar life sentence, or, or are any of them still there, locked up? There was only three of us that received life sentences. 
one of my co-defendants was granted clemency in the first group. He was the first one granted clemency when they when Obama first started granting clemency. He got out. I was granted the year after, and then recently, right before Obama got out of office, he granted my other co-defendant that had a life sentence. He granted him clemency. He comes home in April, April the 18th of this year. Well, that's good. Yeah, Obama at the uh, the end of his term there, he was he was granting it left and right. It was hundreds of people at a time. So that was that was good to yeah. see. Yeah, yeah. Obama is a he. He surely did a good thing for a lot of people and their family. And uh, that's that's one thing that I had told myself when I got out is that um, I just wanted to show society that there is people of worth that's in prison that deserve a second chance. So in other words, I was just trying to pave this road for others could possibly receive clemency as well. I didn't want to come out here and I mean, because that's, that's the I mean, I, when I was in prison, you would see people go back, dress it right, and I would be like, man, all I need is one chance. And then you sit here and come back I said, you're the reason why people like me can't get out of prison is because they see people like y'all not not putting y'all down. I mean, that's just what y'all do. I mean, y'all feel like, you know, you want to get back out there and do whatever you're going to do and come back to prison. But I'm just saying all I need is one chance. And they continue to give you chances to go out and come back. That's what all I need is one chance. That's all I need. So that's why, I mean, I've been out here uh, going on. In April, it'll be two years. Um, I got a job as soon as I got out the halfway house. Like uh, a week later, I got out the halfway house. I got me a car, uh, transportation to get back and forth to work. Um, I've been there almost two years. I got a promotion the first two months I was there. I got like a $2 raise. I work at a cabinet company called Sunrise Wood Design. I started off as a helper to deliver cabinets. Then they put me there in the shop. And then now they got me on an install crew. Um, well, they had me on the install crew. Now they had me uh, as one of the lead men on the install crew. So I have my own van. That's great. So, so you're going into uh, you're going into either. New new construction or into people renovating their their homes and right pretty right. much in, you know redoing the kitchen putting in new cabinets and, and all that stuff right yep that's correct that's yeah I think I think you brought up a, a really good point before talking about uh, saying that you just needed you know just needed one chance and you know there's there's a lot of people out there I guess most of them are. I think most of them are on the right affiliated maybe maybe they're Republicans or, or conservative who um, really kind of kind of frown upon what Obama did, you know, letting people like yourself, nonviolent drug offenders, out of prison. But you can if there's such a better opportunity for you to provide value. Number one, you know, look, you, you come out, you're, you're you're working so much that we're having to record this call on a Saturday because you're, you're I mean, you're working so many hours. You're you're providing tremendous value to society. I guess I'm curious, and I, I want to ask you this. What would you say to to people like that who would frown on uh, President Obama granting you clemency and other clemencies and letting you out of prison? Obviously, you're 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 a good guy. I mean, keeping you in prison any longer wasn't gonna you know it wasn't gonna, it wasn't gonna help anybody. It was only gonna hurt you, hurt your family. So what what right. would you what would you say to those people? Um, I would I would just say um, never to judge a book by its cover because what you read inside is something totally different, which is basically the same way of a person. Don't judge a person by the way um, their past has been or their heart is something different. Them, let them, let them show you instead of you seeing the wrong that they've done. Recognize them for the good that they can do and that they will do. Don't continue to look at their past and hold that over their head for that will continue to make them be the person that they've always been. 
it's it's the environment that one is, is is raised up in that makes them who they are. If you take them out of that environment and put them into a different environment, um, it's a guarantee that they will not be the person that they was before. So just giving a second chance to somebody that uh, is deserving, let them show you instead of continue to look at their past. I think that's I think that's really important advice and. I don't think it's good for for any society, any legal system, um, to punish someone, especially when we're talking about nonviolent offenders, um, to punish somebody just based on, you know, one one mistake, um, one thing, or just a couple of things they did wrong during during one one part of their life. And we, we could debate, you know, if if it's if it's even even right or wrong. This this show. Uh, Generally, the, the audience of this show and, and myself, I'm a uh, I'm a libertarian. So, based on the based on principle, I think that that you own your body and you are allowed to dictate um, what you put in your body and also um, what you what you sell to other people. And that's not to defend um, saying that people should be, you know, doing cocaine or, or or selling crack. I don't think that's a good thing. But necessarily, I don't think that people should be locked away for for 17 years for, 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 uh, for selling a drug, but right. So it's, it's a, uh, I think there's a lot of, a lot of education. A lot of people need to be educated on this. And I think it's, it's fantastic that, that people like yourself are out there who have, you know, spent this time in prison, been through that struggle, have come out on the other side. You're, I mean, you're working hard. You're have a have a solid job where you're you're getting promotions. You're you're learning more. You you have your own your own crew now. Your own truck. Um, I just think it's it's a wonderful story, and I'm glad that you're out there telling it. So I just want to ask you just just one more thing, and then I'll then I'll let you go here. Get on with your Saturday. Um, do you have okay. any any parting words of of advice if if there's anyone out there listening, and there probably is someone out there listening who at least has a, a friend or a loved one who is either in prison right now or about to go into prison. Um, would you have any advice to that individual to, to pass on to somebody who, who is locked up to, to help them through that struggle? Um, yeah, just, just, just never give up on, on the fight for freedom. Um, because there's always a way there's a will, there's a way never give up, continue to fight and continue to change. Uh, Educate yourself. Um, use your time wisely. Don't get involved in nonsense. Um, education, most of all, is the most important during during your your incarceration. Um, like I said, use your time wisely and just just uh, push on and and. and uh, Stay in the law library if you can. Um, research your case because there's always a way. Never give up fighting. And another thing is uh, if you don't, I mean, everybody has different gods. Whoever you praise, um, praise him and, and, and just, just continue to pray and, and uh, don't never give up hope or faith. That is great advice. Thank you so much for for coming on this show, Israel. Thank you for sharing your story, and uh, keep up the fight. Yes, sir. I I appreciate you having me on the show, and I look forward to uh, talking with you again. All right. Sounds good. Have a great day. Okay. You too, John. Thanks. What a story Israel Torres had to share today. I mean, I cannot imagine being in his position, being 21 years old, getting convicted, getting sentenced to a life sentence, and then still having the the composure when you're serving that sentence to understand that you need to better yourself, start taking classes, to actually apply for clemency, which was which a lot of work to put that together. And then that feeling, to hear that story from him, that feeling when President Obama granted him clemency and he, and he found out, that just had to be the most incredible feeling in the world. I just want to reinforce one thing that he did say, I think it's really important. And he talked about that it's important now that he's out of prison uh, to prove that he's a, a valuable member of society, 
that he he works hard, he, he goes to work every day, he contributes value to the company that he works for. He only needed one shot once he got out. There's a lot of people on the right who criticize President Barack Obama for granting clemency to all of these nonviolent drug offenders, for commuting their sentences. So I think Israel had the nail on the head that the way to silence those people on the right is to actually do well, to get out and provide value and live your life and enjoy yourself. And he's doing a fantastic job for that, and I'm so happy for him. And I wanted to talk about, so the past two weeks, or actually more than that, I've, I've had on a lot of people throughout the time that I've had this Felony Friday show, a lot of people who are nonviolent drug offenders who have spent time in prison and have gotten out of prison and have found success after prison. And I received an email from a fan of the show from Australia who said he was a little bit puzzled with this insistence that drug offenses are nonviolent. And he's saying there's thousands of cases where there's career criminals, where drug users commit very violent crimes. And people are making money. Drug dealers are making money on on drug users. And these drug users, whether they're using soft or hard drugs, this can lead them into a criminal lifestyle. And first of all, I, I mean, I think there's definitely some things that, that are correct or that are right. I mean, drugs can lead you into a criminal lifestyle. Just using drugs, you get addicted to a drug. It can lead you into robbing, stealing, and uh, and things like that, and, and worse acts, in order to get money to get drugs. It's definitely right there. One thing I want to point out first, though, that a drug transaction, just like any other transaction, just like buying tomatoes is a consensual transaction and cannot be violent. Just the the transaction of buying and selling drugs, assuming that no one's holding a gun to your head, it's a consensual transaction. The two parties agree to it, it can't be violent. That's just a fact. Second, the people who are using and selling drugs, you know, I'm not saying that they're saints. I'm not here defending the people who are using drugs. Drugs can ruin lives, they can kill people. You know, I haven't talked about it on this show before, but my uncle... Uh, growing up, he was he was a heroin addict, and I, I, I never knew my uncle. I never got to talk to him, never got to hang out with him, and I didn't get to know him until much later in his life, uh, when he was the only way to curb his addiction was he was taking methadone, and you know he he'd thrown his life away, and he's he's passed away now. He he died way too young. This was a personal choice though, and it's it's not the role of the government to step in to try to stop people from from ruining their lives. This kind of brings me to, to my last point here. The people involved in dealing drugs, using drugs, they do commit violent acts. And the prohibition of these drugs is the major instigator of these violent acts. So government prohibiting a drug does introduce more violence into the market. If you don't believe me, just look at history. Look at alcohol prohibition. Look at what happened when alcohol was prohibited. Alcohol prohibition gave rise to the mafia because the mafia found way to profit on selling illegal alcohol. The same exact thing that's happening with drug cartels in Mexico. They found a way to profit off illegal drugs, illegal heroin, marijuana, cocaine. It's the exact same story. If you take the prohibition away, much of the violence will go away. And the reason there's violence, the reason the black market begets violence is because anything that's pushed into the shadows, anything that is pushed into the black market is inherently going to be more violent. Because when something is transacted on the black market, if there's some sort of disagreement between the two parties, that disagreement cannot be arbitrated and or will not be arbitrated by the courts by the government-sanctioned courts, because if you had a disagreement and you took that to the courts, you would end up in prison. You can't do that. So what happens is, in order to resolve these disputes, in order for two different warring factions of of drug dealers or, or two gangs to settle disputes, violence. Violence is how they do it. If you take out the prohibition, the violence will go away. And on top of that, the drugs will be cleaner, they'll be safer, uh, there could be Things put in place that could could verify uh, what substances are in the drugs to make sure they're more pure. And there would be many less drug overdoses, many less people dying from from drugs. And, you know, I've talked about this before on a previous episode of Felony Friday. We talked about or we're talking about how Canada had made prescription heroin legal in order to curb heroin use. 
And there's been a programmer in Switzerland since the 1990s where they've used prescription-grade heroin to get people off of heroin. And it's saved lives. There's never been an overdose. And it's, I mean, it's, it's just incredible that this stuff is, is out there. This information is out there and people are just completely deaf to it. It's a little bit frustrating. I don't want this to come off as an attack from our fan who sent this email from Australia. You know, I, I think he's asking some very valid questions and I'm, I'm at fault for, for not explaining this often enough, I think. I think a lot of the times I just assume that everybody agrees with me on this. The libertarians do, conservatives who are listening, liberty-minded people. I assume that they understand and agree with me. And there's a lot. There's people out there who don't, and they don't understand all the reasoning. Now, I've laid it out here. That doesn't mean that everyone's all of a sudden, you know, I'm saying this is the way it is. You have to agree with me. You might still disagree, but this is a, this is the truth right here, and these are the facts. So. Guys, I really do appreciate you for listening. I want to thank Israel Torres again for coming on the show and sharing his story, a, uh, an awesome story. If you enjoyed this show, please share it. Please, if you'd like to chat with other Liberty lovers, consider joining our Lions of Liberty Forum. You can join at Facebook.com. Just punch Lions of Liberty Forum in the search bar at the top, and you can join. Buy some T-shirts, guys. Buy some beer koozies. Check out the Lions of Liberty store. If you haven't been there yet, what the hell are you waiting for? Join our patron program. Check out lionsofliberty.com. Support for all the details there. You can get access to our exclusive content and to our blooper reel, which was just released last week and has a bunch of outtakes from our roundtables that we do, our libertarian and living rooms drinking liquor episodes. There's a lot of hilarious outtakes there. So be sure to check that out. That is it for the show today, guys. Thank you for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up. Fires of Liberty burning.